Well, good morning or evening or whatever time it might be that you're worshiping with us here at St. John's. My name is Tom. I'm the pastor here. And on behalf of our whole team, as they're going to be seated, uh, we just want to welcome you. We're so glad that you've chosen to worship with us this morning. Um, If it is your first time worshiping with us, Laura shared how you can let us know. And whether it's your first time or you've been worshiping with us online for quite some time, um, I just want to know that this is the first weekend uh, that we're running the entire service with our new live stream equipment. And so uh, just a few seconds ago, uh, Pammy, myself, a bunch of us are running, pressing all sorts of different buttons. And so next couple of weeks, we're going to be trying to figure different things out. So we appreciate your grace. And we're just so very grateful for those of you who contributed so that uh, we could be able to upgrade our technology and worship in this way for years to come, we pray. And so, as again, as Laura said, we're preparing our hearts to hear God's word. Let's begin with just a word of prayer. Lord Jesus, I just want to thank you uh, that your Holy Spirit draws us together from near and far, and that as we have gathered in this place and at this time, no matter what place and no matter what time it is, as we come together, we know that it's your Spirit that draws us together as one. And so we pray that as we open up your word, that you would speak your your truth to us, that that truth would pierce our hearts deep into our souls, that we might be changed as we enter into this time of bringing glory to your name, that we might become more like you in the week to come than in the week before. It is in Jesus' name all God's people said, amen. Amen. Well, this this past week, I, I took my older two boys, Jake and Evan, out for uh, some Fred's World's Famous Burgers. I'm sure many of you know where that's at. It's in Burlington, town over from Elkhorn here. And we picked up our food, we went and we ate it over by the Fox River, the Burlington River Walk, which is just this, this beautiful park and space. And as we were sitting there eating it, I reminded our boys that it was just a few years ago that the, the park had actually flooded, the river had flooded. And it was so flooded, the place that we were sitting, that we wouldn't have been able to sit there, there would have been fish swimming around our feet and down the road that was right next to us. It was terrible. And I think this was only like like three years ago. Uh, I'm looking at our worship team, seeing if anybody remembers something like that. And even though our boys remembered that that year we went to Veterans Park and we played at the playground, we saw fish that had died in places that the water had been before. But when I pointed out how high the water was, they said to me, no, Dad, there's no way that the water was that high. And they had all these different ideas. There's no way that the water could have flooded to that point. It would have gone here. It would have gone there. There's no way that anything like that could have happened. It doesn't look today like that ever happened. Well, we're, we're in our summer series we're calling Summer Stories, and we're telling familiar Old Testament stories and how they speak into our lives today. And I thought, you know, I wonder how many of us would say the same thing to God about the story of Noah and the flood. 
I wonder how many of us would say it's unbelievable. How could that ever possibly happen? And I wonder if maybe a long time from now, people will look back on the year 2020 and say that that year must have been impossible too. Could a virus really have caused that much damage? Could people have really been so divided? Could 2020 really have been the first year since the 80s that the Chicago Bears won every single game in the regular season and the playoffs and the NFL just decided to cancel the Super Bowl. Okay, so I don't know if that's going to age well. I mean, I'm not a prophet or anything. I'm hoping that with everything else that's happened in 2020, maybe that'll happen as well. Anything's possible. Well, while I'm not in a position to explain to my kids how the flood happened in Burlington, and I'm not in a position to explain how the flood happened in Genesis either, the Bible does clearly explain why it happened, and it also explains how God left things when it was all over. And I think that those two questions and the answers that we get from God's word can bring us some comfort and insight as we continue to walk through what is a difficult, difficult season for so many of us. And so let's dive into God's word and the story of Noah, not of Noah, of Jonah, um, of Noah. Jonah was last week. Genesis chapter six, beginning at verse five. The Lord saw how wicked, how great the wickedness of the human race had become on the earth, and that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all of the time. Now, it's hard to wrap our minds around this, but this was terrible. Now, there's always been evil on the face of the planet since the very beginning, but this evil had gotten so bad that it says that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart were only evil all of the time. Now, we all have evil thoughts some of the time, but at this point, even the inclinations, even the feelings of individuals, every individual on the face of the planet was always evil, so much so that verse 6, the Lord regretted that he had made human beings on the earth, and his heart was deeply troubled. Now, that's a tough passage because If you remember the first week of this series, we talked about creation, right? And we talked about how in Genesis 1, God made people and said that they were very good. That people were made in God's likeness and image. And these good people, these very good people, have now become so bad that God regrets the entire thing. And that's a tough truth to process, isn't it? I mean, how can a good, loving God who created good people turn around and regret making the whole thing? But then I thought about that this week. And I thought maybe that's how every homeowner along the Fox River felt a couple of years ago before and during the flood, right? They, they built their house on this beautiful property. I mean, if you've never been to, to Burlington and walked the Riverwalk path, it's, it's a beautiful place to walk. And I could just imagine it would be a beautiful place to sit and have a cup of coffee in the morning if your house just butted up against the river. And so imagine if you were a homeowner along that path and And you loved your house, and you built that house, and you made a home out of that place, and then the floods came, and they came through. You better believe that a lot of people in that moment regretted not building their house up on a hill, regretted having their house so close to the water, at least for a while. See, they loved their home, 
but they also felt such deep despair when they saw something so very good being destroyed. Well, I wonder if that's the way God felt at the time of Noah. He had built something very good. He made people, and then he watched as the flood of sin took over every corner of the human race. Like like water goes everywhere. Verse 5 says that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart were only evil all of the time. And so God finds himself in the same dilemma as the homeowners along the Fox River, right? As anybody whose home has been flooded or burned or destroyed, what do I do? Do I just destroy it all and walk away? Or do I rebuild? And the answer is both. Look at Genesis 6. It says, in verse 7, it says, So the Lord said, I will wipe from the face of the earth the human race that I have created, and with them the animals, the birds, and the creatures that move along the ground, for I regret that I have made them. God says, I'm going to wipe it out. Why? Well, because sometimes... That's the only way to rebuild something. See, if a house has been damaged by flood or by fire, you're going to have to remove a lot of material before it's safe to rebuild again. If, if a body has been invaded by cancer, you're going to have to remove some tissue, even some good tissue, in order to promote healing. And yet, if you stop the story right there, it sounds pretty terrible, doesn't it? Which is why the next verse in Genesis 6-8 says this, but Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. When everything else was flooded, when everything was destroyed, when it was beyond hope, there was one place, one dry corner, one stone in the foundation of humanity that still had hope, and his name was Noah. And it was from this one person, this one family, that God rebuilt the world. Look at verse 9 of Genesis. Then this is the account of Noah and his family. Noah was a righteous man, blameless among the people of his time, and he walked faithfully with God. And you know the rest of the story, don't you, right? It's in this faith that Noah had that that he did what first seemed crazy and impossible to the people around him. He faithfully followed God's instructions, building a 510-foot-long ship, a ship that was large enough to hold his family and two of every living thing, yes, even the mosquito, because as I've said before, God does not answer every question in the Bible, and that's one I'm sure we're all going to have when we get to meet him face-to-face. And, and what looks like it's crazy to, to others might look as crazy as it would have looked if you owned a house on the Fox River and started to sandbag in the middle of January. And what looked impossible and what looked crazy ended up being the very thing that needed to be done. As the waters came in and as the the earth slowly flooded, then the impossible took place as this ship actually set sail and the entire earth filled with water. Now, if I look at the story of Noah and I try to ask what part of the story do we find ourselves in in this particular moment in time, 
I think it would probably be this part. We're on the boats and we're floating across what looks like an endless sea. I mean, on one hand, a worldwide pandemic began, what, five, six months ago now? And some of us might feel like Noah's family. We don't really even know why we've been invited into this to begin with. I know I would consider myself one of those individuals. We're along for the ride, and we just don't know where this boat is headed. But in any case, the water is covering the surface, and it's impacting virtually every area of life with no end in sight. And so if that's where we are in the story of Noah, then the last question I want to ask is, where's the hope? Where's the hope? In the story of Noah and the flood, the flood ends. That's the hope. The hope is that the flood ends. God rebuilds, and eventually all the beauty and hope that he intended for the entire human race would be fully restored, just like the homes along the river. But in the story of the worldwide flood, see, the restoration didn't come from Noah And it didn't come from insurance money, and it didn't come from charity, and it didn't come from a vaccine, and it didn't come from an administration, and it didn't come from a restored economy. The author of Genesis seems to try hard to make the point that at the end of the story, the hope comes from God. God is the one who restored the world. God is the one who restored the world by sparing a sinner and sending a Savior. God restored the world by sparing a sinner and sending a Savior. And friends, that's the same message God has today for you and for me as well. As we continue to do our broken best to be faithful to God, we need to remember that the story of Noah is less about a person and more about someone who survives the storm by putting their faith and trust in God. And so what that looks like for us today is that maybe we need to be the kind of followers of God that look just as crazy as Noah did, that look just as crazy as we live out our faith as Noah did in the days that were leading up to the rain, which I believe is is practically speaking not to stoop down to the divided level of the world around us. It's to not attack and seek to destroy those who we don't agree with, but it's to live in love, and it's to live in peace, and it's to live in humility, and it's to live in hope when all of those things seem impossible to find. Because unlike the rest of the world, if if you know the story of Noah, you know that a rainbow will come. You know that a rainbow will come. At the end of the story in Genesis chapter 9, God says this in verse 12, says, God said, this is the sign of the covenant that I'm making between me and you and every living creature with you, a covenant for all generations to come. I have set my rainbow in the clouds, and it will be the sign of the covenant between me and the earth. Whenever I bring clouds over the earth and the rainbow appears in the clouds, I will remember my covenant between me and you and all the living creatures of every kind. Never again will the waters become a flood to destroy all life. Whenever the rainbow appears in the clouds, I will see it and remember the everlasting covenant between God and all living creatures of every kind on the earth. This is the covenant that thousands of years later, the covenant that God promised in the days of Noah would come to fruition for you and for me in the person of Jesus. 
He's the Savior that God would send. And in the New Testament, 1 Peter 3 says this in verse 18, Jesus suffered for our sins once and for all. He never sinned, but he died for sinners to bring you safely home to God. He suffered physical death, but he was raised to life in the Spirit. So he went and preached to the spirits in prison, those who disobeyed God long ago, and God waited patiently while Noah was building his boat. Only eight people were saved from drowning in that terrible flood. And that water is a picture of baptism, which now saves you, not by removing dirt from your body, but as a response to God from from a clean conscience. It is effective because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so as a response, a response to the hope that we have in Jesus, out of obedience to the one, who has paid the price completely to restore the damage that has been done by the flood of our sin, followers of Jesus are baptized. And if you've already been baptized, then I want to encourage you that right after this service, do the same thing Martin Luther did 500 years ago. Martin Luther, whenever he was feeling anxious and worried about something, he would splash his face with water, and he would say, Martin, remember, you're baptized. It was a reminder to himself that Jesus was with him, that as the water may rise over his face, he would be reminded that he has been saved by God because God is the God of the flood and he's the God of the peace. And because of that, the flood waters can never overcome. And so can we pray for that right now? Lord Jesus, I just want to thank you I want to thank you that you came to fulfill what the story of Noah proclaimed and prophesied, that that there would be a flood. For us, it's the flood of sin, which is worse than the flood of a virus or anything else. It's the thing that has separated us from you, from your presence, and from your love. And you were so intent on not just creating humanity in your likeness and image to be very good, but restoring humanity to its goodness and to its place that we might bring glory to your name and that we might find companionship with God that you sent your son Jesus to do what Noah and everyone else could never have done, and that was to live the perfect life, to die the perfect death, so that just as waters flooded over the earth, that you would go into the depths of death and that you would overcome it for us when you rose three days later. Lord God, we thank you that baptism is our reminder of this truth. God, we thank you for those who have been faithful, that that is a constant promise. And I pray, Lord God, that every time we wash our face, that every time we go swimming, that every time we take a shower, that we would remember the promise in the water that you are always with us. And Lord, may that hope overflow in each of us, that it may be an example, like Noah was in a faithful example to the world around him. Not a perfect example, none of us are but one that has put our faith and trust in you, even when it looks crazy, even when the waters rise, knowing that you're not finished yet. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.